<laughs> Honestly, but I think this is it, and it's quite sad when you see people and they talk about food as fuel. Okay, totally, it is. Uh, we're very lucky to be in a position where food is fashion, food is a hobby. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the world, food people are still starving, which is outrageous in this 21st century. You know what I mean? There's yeah. food below everybody. So Definitely. it's hard, especially in the industry where food is fashion, food is expensive, food is a state yeah. symbol. So I need to temper that with what we do and what we try to put back with charity work and everything like that. But food should never just be fuel. The Naughty Bites Podcast. Tony Singh is a man who knows no boundaries. A Scottish Sikh chef with a passion for British produce, a taste for sensual spices, and famously known for wearing striking kilts with that mischievous twinkle in his eye. And let's forget about November. He's the only man in my eyes who can carry off a handlebar moustache with his elegant curls. What's more, Tony has taken his cue from the inventiveness of food found in our street stores, a fusion of culinary influences, simple cooking techniques and inexpensive ingredients. Now that's what I would call the best Christmas present. Tony as my chef for the day with the addition of his cheeky humour. Who's with me? Welcome, Tony. Um, as you know, my podcast is called Naughty Bites. What's your guilt-free, sweet or savoury snack that you find yourself tiptoeing into the kitchen for? Oh, gosh. I could be either. <laughs> so if, if, if I have Ras Malai or Ras Gulli in the fridge, okay. that's it. Definitely, they're down. I'll, I can't. They have to be finished probably the day after we've made them. Because you need that day for all the flavours to meld together and then chill properly. And the rest will live warm up anyway, a cup of tea. So that's my sweet one. Uh, Savoury, I would always come down to some nice cheese and a glass of port. Ooh, I like that. I have to say, Indian sweets for me are like, I get high on sugar. Because uh, when he said a rest of my life, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's a rush. It's great. That's why I was like, well, if you're at a, 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 a function... Or celebrate and you're almost dancing, you need the energy. That's my, my thought process. That's how they got it. No, <laughs> for all the energy. dancing. <laughs> for all the dancing, for sure. Um, so let's take a step back. You studied food at culinary school at the age of 16. Yeah. But what was the significant turning point for you to go, that's what I wanted to do. I want to become a chef. I want to study food. I think it's always been with me. Um, being an up and derby household, everybody cooks. Everybody's got an opinion on okay. food. We're up in the morning talking about lunch, lunch for dinner. Dad's uh, <laughs> working. Big family, you always help out in the kitchen. But I think one of the things that really always drew me to food was uh, in the seat, uh, pace, one of the cornerstones is longer. Communal kitchen, giving free food to people. So we went to the good bar, the seat place of worship. And we'd help as children peeling garlic, tomatoes, carrots, anything. And you always knew it brought people together. It was always a happy place. And everyone was happy. It was about making everybody feel comfortable, equality and everything. I said, well, this, this is what food does. So I've always been on food. And then when I knew you could actually get paid for being a chef, I went, that's for me. That's for you. As soon as you said, when you talk about, when you have a lunch, you think about dinner. When you have dinner, you think about snack. And after snack, yeah. it's breakfast. It's, it's breakfast, the same yeah. in my house. <laughs> Honestly. But I think this is it. And it's quite sad when you see people and they talk about 
food is fuel. Okay, totally it is. Uh, we're very lucky to be in a position where food is fashion, food is a hobby. Uh, when you look at the world, food people are still starving, which is outrageous in this 21st century. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not good for everybody. So Definitely. it's hard, especially in, in the industry where food is fashion, food is expensive, food is a yeah. symbol. So I need to temper that with what we do and what we try to put back with charity work and everything like that. But food should never just be fuel. No, definitely. It's enjoyment. It's um, enjoyment. It should feed the brain. And even if that's your 10 minutes to think, sit and think, it should be that. Because people are getting less time to even think. And you're just running about. So it, it, it helps. I think with definitely. mental health, if you've just got even five minutes by yourself, it's nice sharing it with somebody, but if you can have a cup of tea by yourself or a wee sandwich or a soup or something, it's awesome. Definitely. Like, one thing I know about living here is that on a Sunday food is family day all the shops are shut yeah people wake up late and then we'll have lunch from one o'clock till about five six o'clock there's no phones there's nothing and I'm like this is why I'm putting on weight because it's becoming a long family affair and it's like "Mm." but I do like that because it's kind of continued even with the younger generation today that you know Uh Sunday is food well I thought this would carry on from the lockdown we were having more people cooking but yeah. more people sitting down, family time, we've got back in our routine. Yeah, definitely. I think it's so easy to fall into bad habits. Everybody's just rushing about and you're grabbing a sack on the boat. And we are we are all time under time pressure. And yeah. that time pressure knocks on, can we actually have time to make food and everything like that? So one of the things that we're always trying to do is get cooking back into the curriculum. I think we yeah. need to do that because if the kids push their parents, the parents will change. I think so. I absolutely think so. And I think as well, like going, you know, going to school in the UK, I remember my school dinners were such things as pie, egg morning, um, you know, stew, that sort of stuff. And now when I look back... Egg morning, that's a first school. We like that. (laughs) It was amazing. I was like, I'm having that for my lunch today. Yeah. When it was on the menu, I love it. But we had like, you know, vegetable station, you know, your cooked foods, your snacks, but desserts were amazing. Like... Everything was chocolate with custard. Can't oh, get wrong yeah. with custard. That's British work, desserts yeah. are the best. <laughs> yeah. Chocolate or That's normal. Amazing. I like a, I like a rich, heavy pudding, like a spotted deck or jam roll with or something. That's my favourite. But I think the UK is amazing for hot desserts. It's yeah. like one of the best places for like crumbles, pies. and um, That's that rib sticking things to keep you warm. It's true. <laughs> Even in the summer, I have it. It's all good. Yeah. Um, so... You've worked from so you've gone you've gone from working into the Royal Scotsman's to Martins. You've 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 earned prestigious awards from the gold medalist chef in the Highlands and the TV ITV Chef of the Year many uh-huh. years ago. What's been the highlight of your career so far? I I would have to say opening all the Russell, which was <clears throat> that came about. We won, so when we were at college, Stafford College, YTS, we had fantastic lecturers that put us into competitions like Sound Culinaire, uh, Junior Chef of the Year, things like that. So we had that competitive edge, wanted to compete, which was great. And then we've done competitions, we went through. Uh, after Martins, I was coached to open uh, the Royal York Britannia. Was, I was the first civilian chef there, so we changed it from being in the service of Her Majesty to being a visitor attraction for private events. So while I was there, there was an ITV Chef of the Year, so it was 1999, 
for the shift the Millennium 2000. So it was the first professional chess competition on television. Wow. So I got through to the finals, and I was up against people that trained me, these amazing chefs that looked up to it, and I won. So I was like, wow. Like, oof, what, was your, what was your signature dish on that finals? Well, I loved the competition because it wasn't a signature dish. It was, you had a mystery basket. So everybody had the same choice of ingredients. Okay. And they came up with so many different things. So it was fabulous. So I'd done a clump of lamb. We made a salsa. We made an aubergine. It was like a butter, but we toned down the spices. It was great. Oh, yeah, so amazing. it was really nice. And it was just, it was phenomenal. But for that, that was the, the stepping stone, I think. I went, oh, wow. That's me. I've won this. I'm on telly. I'm going to be the next Jamie Oliver. <laughs> right? So I went to London. Well, I went back to the Royal Yacht and I said, <clears throat> uh, I've won this award. What can we do? And they said, well, you can have a couple of extra weeks off unpaid leave. And I went, mm, no. So I handed him a note out, off to London, thick, checkered handkerchief and all that, and <laughs> went and spoke to a few agents, and they said, oh, yeah, you should be able to get work, but you need to take elocution lessons. Really? back in the day. This is back before regional accents were trendy. And I went, mm, I don't think so. So I'd left my job oh, back up in Edinburgh, and then we, we had some investors, people that have great friends and uh, customers we'd met through Martins and everything, and my partner, this part of the time, James came to me, James Sankey, and he came to me, he said, look, I'll open a bar, you want to open a restaurant, let's combine forces, and we opened all the Russell. So it was an iconic <sighs> restaurant in Edinburgh, rooftop, I think it was the second rooftop restaurant there, and even till the day we've got people saying, oh, it's amazing time, should open it again, blah, blah, it was just great. That's but amazing. It was amazing, and that was before we were 30, it was awesome. Oh, my goodness. That year. Well done you, but... That's been a highlight, but what's been one of the most challenging parts of your career to date? Every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that for everybody? <laughs> yeah. I think what you call it, it's different. Uh, the challenges have changed. I think now, for everybody in the industry, uh, the human resource, your staff, but mm-hmm. everybody used to probably, all the good employers knew that their staff were their asset. And now you're finding out the good guys have kept their staff. Everybody else has lost their staff. And that's, like mm-hmm. the, that's the problem. I think the, the biggest ch- challenge would have been opening the restaurant. It was just, it was a year without any salary. We were coming together. This is without founding circle and all these platforms that we have now. No social media. Me and James, we've got 22 investors together. It was, wow. just, it was hard, hard work. We were up against blue chip companies from London, away the site. And the landlord chose us because we wanted an independent and we bought it. Oh, that's amazing. But yeah, no, I think running a restaurant is one of the most stressful careers of just everything. Like, it's, but you've done it. Like, you've pursued, you've done it. Like, when I've been reading up the stuff about yourself, I'm like, oh my goodness, you're opening another restaurant, which actually leads me on to you've just opened another sort of restaurant called, Mm -hmm. I think I pronounced it correctly, Rugracha. Radcha. Radcha. Okay. Because you will laugh at me because my family laugh at me for English fine Indian words. So yeah. I sent a voice message to my family. I went, and he's like, guys, you know how I sound? How do you pronounce it? So my sister will message me back and was like, Anisha, you pronounce it Ragaracha. And I was like, no. Are you sure? And I was like, I said Radcha. I will tell I, I will you tell you. No, Ragaracha, which okay. Ragaracha means to, to grind the rub, right? Yeah. So Raj is a it's a slang term in, in, in Leith, 
or being a bad, being a gandu basically, right? Okay, yeah. So being a bad mischievous, a bit mad, prone to violence. What about she? <laughs> You're mischievous. <laughs> well, which part? So was that a play on words? So when you say it, when we do in the show, we say Raj chat. So people think of the Raj. Right, got you. Right, so but it's Raj, yeah. So the yeah. chat there. And then <laughs> chat, obviously, you want all the chat. We've got a bit of banter going on there, so uh, it's always good. So, it's a yeah. good play on word, I have to say. Totally. Because, so you set this up with your brother, Lucky. Yep. For those of for those of you that don't know, well, my listeners, about Raj Chat, can you explain more about it? So Raj Chat is, uh, I, I've been doing pop-ups since we sold all the so I love it. And it's got traction and people are doing it. And over the the last few years, you've got, well, last quite a few years, you've got things like Carby, you've got Baramassi, all these amazing street food venues all over the country. In Scotland, it's there. The weather's not like great, but we're there. We've got a great community. So, Open Russia, I love Indian street. I love street food full stop around the world. It's fresh, it's, it's, it's vibrant, it's simple, but so much flavour. And yeah. it talks to you about the people. And then when we, we opened it first, we opened it in a shipping container. And as a business, really, we were approached by delivery companies and that. And I didn't want to do deliveries because we just didn't do it because it has to be fresh. Yeah, if you want good food, get off your bum, come and get good food. I, I believe in that. I believe in that. Totally, man. Somebody spent the hard time to make it. They're sitting there in the cold and that. You get off your bum and get it. Because if mm. you get it delivered, it's not got that edge. It's not got a vibrancy. Yeah. So we've opened it up in the Bonnie and Wild, which is in James's Quarter. And the whole thing with Jart is it's lip-smacking, it's fresh, it's vibrant, it's punchy. It's got all the different textures, crunchy, soft, it's got sweet, sour, spicy, jack-butter, it's all these things going on. And this is what you try to tell people. So this is all plant-based, though. I don't like saying vegan, don't like vegetarian, because they're all having a fight together. They're all throwing carrots at each other. So it's an underground battle going on. I'm happy with it. Yeah. So I'm happy, it's, it's, but it is all plant-based. And okay. I challenge people, so if you don't like it, I'll give you money back. Okay. And if they finish it, give it to me. And touch wood, nobody's got yeah, back yeah. because it's good food. No chef in the world goes out to make bad food. No, but it's true. Yeah, for everybody's. So it's still personal taste, but this is fresh, it's punchy, it's so good. Yeah, because I think as well, like, the one thing I hate is when you have food delivered and you have something like a samosa or, you know, bokoras or, like, yeah. even, you know, bunny body. And I hate bani. that when you get it, the paint, like, the, the body is so, like, soft. It has to be crisp and then you dollop but it. This is it. So people are, so we've been doing bunny body, people love it and go go best, right? But, and they say, oh, why is that? I said, you can't eat it. You have to come and eat it. And we've got yeah. regulars coming back to heat, uh, to the body and wild. So we're just thinking of a way of serving it again that's less labour intensive for us. And guests will get the thing. So we're looking at doing a big tally, big tally, gogope, the masala and the chana there and the pani there. So they just help themselves. We'll just go through what it is. Oh, and I think that's what we'll do. Yeah. I love tally because my husband has a pure weakness for thali. And when he was in yeah. Nepal, he was literally having thali every day. So when he came uh, back, he went, so if you have the time, and I was like, no. no. <laughs> it's so labor. I was like, no. If no you well, like, why don't you make it for me? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. So I was yeah. like, I'm not doing it. But he loved thali and that. And yeah. also he loves the, and it's true, like myself, I love pickle, but I yeah. love fresh pickle. Like, you know, once it was like, like a jar, like, you know, like, Carrots with the chili and like something that's well, this is, this is what I try to explain to people. So, 
when you look at um, Indian cuisine, so you've got jar, which is lactic fermentation, which is longer, so you've got gajar, you've got ginger and everything, keep for months, yeah. or you've got like pickled onions or the gajar way thingy or mint and coriander. I said, we call that a chutney and that yeah. a jar. Yeah. And where in the West, a jar of chutney is something that you preserve. And a yeah. jar for us is something you preserve. A chutney is fish. It's yeah. vibrant. You call it like yeah. a salsa. That's it. And see, that's the difference. You think that in your head. Yeah. Which is cool. So that's what we're looking to do. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to go to like Scotland and eat. That's all I want to do is eat these days. So Hi. you were talking about local fresh ingredients. So now in the restaurant world, using sustainable ingredients, like sustainable ingredients, local ingredients, supporting local suppliers has become super fashionable, but also because it's raised awareness of what's happening now in terms of food wastage. You mentioned before, uh-huh. there's so much hunger, even though we're in the 21st century, a lot yeah. of food is wasted and billions is spent on disposing food waste in hospitality. Uh, it, I, I don't understand a, it. It's a crime. And I think going back to, uh, it's on trend, uh, it's buzzwords, but good restaurants have always been social and local. They've always tried to support locally and everything like that. But that doesn't mean not to support the Kenyan farmer that we've made yeah. their economy on fine beans. We wanted it, yeah. so you can't just cut them out. Yeah, we no, I, I look at, and you have to look at where, there's no mango trees in Scotland, right? <laughs> I want good mangoes. So I'm not going to have a substitute, but I want to buy food where it does good. Yeah, so you no, still need to look at your producers that they do good for where we're getting it from. Definitely. Come back to spices, chocolate, bananas, anything like that. I still have to do good. And this thing of, yeah, if you can buy local, that's great, but not everybody can. It just has to mm. be good. You know what I mean? If you can get with suppliers that have an ethical um, philosophy, that's the way to look at it because it's hard to get yeah. the ingredients that we want, like a local. Like, no, like that. Yeah, definitely. But spices and everything like that. We start trying to see who does good, what kind of reputation they have, and that's what we go after. And have you applied that across, but throughout all of your restaurants? Well, we have where we could, where we could. And I think price points the hardest thing. I think people, especially with the cost of living thing, people have to understand good food, fresh food costs money. Yeah, no, it's true. And if you want it, I'm the best. If you want it, that's it, and that's the difference between. Oh, it's okay. Oh, wow, that was great. Because we're not reinventing the wheel. No, no, no. I've been around forever. Definitely. I'm not saying I've invented I'm just lucky enough to be off that heritage of tasting the real deal. And this is what you want people to taste. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Like, I think one of the things for me is like living here, you know, in the UK, I was really fortunate in the UK, you have everything you want in a supermarket, like everything, yeah. everything international, grocery, you name yeah. it, you have it. Yeah. One of the things, although I love living here in Spain, I miss Indian vegetables because mm-hmm. there is nothing. Unfortunately, there is nothing I can buy that's Indian vegetables. And I love aubergine, but I'm sick and tired of having one type of aubergine, the massive purple one. The big um, one, I. Yeah. Small ones. I want the small ones. I can stuff them and like, yeah. you know, oh, oh, I'm so excited. Like, I love aubergines. But the one thing I do love here and I do rate, it's like in the supermarket, you just get your necessities. If you yeah. want your vegetables or your fish or your meat, you go to the greengrocer, you go to the um, fishmonger. Yeah. And I like how everything is local. So, you know, yeah. my garlic scapes or my spinach will be seasonal. So I get it twice a year. 
and that is it. And then I've got to wait again. And that's what makes me, you pay a little bit more, but it makes me look forward to having something seasonal because it's the tastiest in that time as opposed to having it all year round. And it comes back to less food miles, better for the environment, everything that we want and we know. Yeah. People still want strawberries in December. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. And the thing is, the season, because of growing things, like we had fantastic strawberries. Scottish strawberries are the best yeah. in the season. Between May and end of July, just phenomenal. But last year, like even up to just beginning of September, they were stunning because they've got the polytunnels down at that. And it's just it's lovely. I do oh, love them. So, what's your seasonal, sorry, what's your favourite seasonal produce you use from Scotland in your dishes? I would say it has to be coming up for autumn, wild mushrooms. Love the wild mushrooms and oh, the Scottish rolls, the chanterelles, the best. I love them. Oh, because you've got the weather as well. Like, yeah, like yeah, damp, wet. Wet. <laughs> <laughs> damp, wet weather. Yeah, which is fantastic. You always get, there's a positive, every cloud is summer lining. There is, there is. So, food aside, I have to ask you, um, you are famous for wearing your kilt yeah. in all of your functions. Vivian Westwood is the only designer that's put kilts on the map. As a designer, not many people mm. use tartan. Would you ever ask her to design a kilt for you? I once, when we opened Olo Rosso, so this is in 2021, I was at a charity function and there was a Vivian Westwood original kilt up for grab because they just opened Harvey Nichols, right? So I'm sitting there, all my money, it's not got, not got two cents to rub together. <laughs> We're up to our eyes in, in debt. I went, oh, I'm going to have to get that. I don't know if it was a I want to kill, I want to kill. And then, and then, oh my God, and it was like, there was nobody left. It was like, I went, oh my God, oh my God, hopefully bid that. It was a strong farmer that was sitting against me. So we just two of us left. I went, please bid again. It was like eight thousand pounds. I said, please bid again. And he bid again. I went, oh, oh I missed God. out. You missed out. I've got a better one than uh, I love Vivian Westwood stuff. But have you heard of a designer called Jilly Blackwood? Yes. So oh. she's made my kilt. <laughs> she's Honestly, made your kilt. Yeah, Vivian <laughs> but Jilly, her kilt is in the V and A for the Millennium kilt, and she's made mine. I'm gonna giggle that. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're famous for your awesome banter with Cyrus. You yeah. did the TV series The Spice Men. Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider doing another one with him? Ooh, serendipity. There might be something happening. I can't tell you. But it'd be great, honestly. It's been 10 years since we've done the show. Yeah. We loved it. And we were very surprised it never got picked up because touch wood, the feedback that we got, it was fantastic. Uh, but it might be getting resurrected again, so we'll see what happens. I hope so, because both of you introduced spices, well, the use of spices to dishes people are comfortable making, for example, hot pots and stuff. So you you brought fusion to comfortable dishes. Yeah. Would you do that again? Like, oh, definitely. How I think, well, when we've done the original spice then, I thought, yeah, okay, we've done the UK, we've done not. It's like they say, oh, we've done the UK, we've not, we've done parts of the UK. We could have done, we could have done another eight shows just in the UK, right? But then, imagine going to France. And Can I come? With I speak French. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but my, my, you're in Spain, eh? Nobody messes with cuisine, nobody messes with French. Or, 
attack. Everybody's really proud, but going and doing it, and we know some of the dishes. So it's even like cooking with the stars, we've done. Oh, I've not, that's not been shown yet. When when's this going out? Uh, oh. So I can talk about it anyway. So we've done, yeah, we'll talk uh, about it in a moment. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a uh, cocos and Jacques Brisian, right? It was a traditional uh, scallop dish with mashed potatoes, but we've done it with a South Indian sauce, coconut, curry leaves, oh. and everything. So honestly, we'd have loved to have went around Europe and just seen the reactions. I don't mean just worth it for the comedic value alone. Definitely, because I love watching the film called The Chef. Yeah, yeah. John Favreau. So I was yeah. hoping I could ask you and Cyrus, can I be the little boy or the girl in the background, yeah. like recording this? Because the comedy between the two of you, like it's eclectic. Your relationship is like two mischievous brothers, like well, having that, a really that, good well, time. That and that, and we've had such a great time. Oh, well, I can't wait to hear about more about this. So after doing more research about you you've got the supper club yeah. and it's the hottest ticket in town like the reviews i read about this it's like everybody wants in in your 10 course meal what's one of your favorite dishes that you like preparing for them well what's got so the menus change she changed seasonally because we've got 12 people our suppliers know if they've just caught the one really nice wild feedback they can give it to us to spawn Right, so we change our menu all the time. There's two things that will stay the same. The canopy stay the same, and the signature dish was my Punjabi salmon, which is my grand's recipe. Oh, That's the two things that stay the same. All the and um, is, is there a reason why you did a 10-course meal? Like, how do you manage to make sure that they don't roll home? <laughs> well, they might. You know what I mean? What happens is <laughs> stays at Costa Supper Club, but it's just, it's well-balanced. Uh, the hardest thing is there's lots of there's a couple of courses that you'd like to give them bread so they can mop it up, but you can lick the plates there. It's not a problem. We don't care. <laughs> so we, we try to cut back on the carbs uh, and we just let the, the ingredients be and the, the course, there's nothing worse than going to a fine restaurant and if you're doing the best muscle ever and you go home and you're hungry, so they fail. Right, so my, my philosophy is somebody's coming to you for dinner, so they need fed. So that's your main thing. You need to feed them so they're not hungry. Take their appetite. Right? So whether that be one course or 50 courses. But if you've done all your courses and they're so hungry, you've not done your job properly. That's true. That's true. Because I remember years ago, I went to a Michelin restaurant and we had this taster menu. And um, we had about seven courses. But then I was like, Carlos, I can't walk home because my stomach was just, ex was just exploding. It was, and then I asked for chamomile tea to help the digestion. Yeah. They ended up giving that like dessert tapas. And I was like, I'm going to pop. I'm literally <laughs> going to pop. It took me an hour to walk home as opposed to like 10 minutes because yeah, I, just, I physically oh. couldn't move. I just felt everything moving in my body. But that's no. how, for me, food should, like, food should be indulgent and like, you know, yeah, you don't want to eat the following day. Well, no, you know. but it's that fine balance, and then your style comes back to people's personal size. And the thing is, there's you're at your friend's house and you're having dinner, so you can leave stuff. Yeah. You don't you drink all the wine. You just look at what smaller portion. That's not a problem. We'll do it. You're in the oh. picture with us. You're talking to us. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I'm so excited. So you're currently on ITV's Cooking with the Stars. Yeah, you are paired with Josie Gibson. Yeah, and you're mentoring her as well. Is it nerve-wracking knowing that when you're doing the blind tasting, you could be voting Josie off the the show? What's that feeling like? 
Wills Josie best pairing out of everybody. Her <laughs> energy is fantastic, but her palette is phenomenal. Wow. Her palette is spot on, and I've realised that I'll know Josie's food because she seasons perfectly. Oh, that's really good. So, so she seasons perfectly. So is there any gossip you can tell us backstage no, about it? No, <laughs> Nothing no. at all. Nothing oh, at all. What um, happens in the green room stays in the green room. Oh, so it's like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Stays in Vegas, yeah. Stays in Vegas. So I've heard with the grapevine, you've like doubled into the drinks market. So you're mm-hmm. pairing like coriander and lemon with like beer and IPAs. Yeah, we've got citrus. citrus you've got citrus bit, right. So everyone knows a drink should never overpower the dish. How totally. have you concocted these these mixtures with IPA and beer? Well, what's like the thing is, we worked with a fantastic brewing company, Fierce Brewing, up mm. in Aberdeen. And the head brewer, awesome, awesome guy. And I told him what we wanted, and we looked at it, and he was talking about, we're talking about different hops, because I hate hoppy beer. Yeah. I like a nice, clean Pilsner. I like a nice, stout, hoppy, no, 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 no. But he said, oh, you've got different citrus. I went, oh, citrus. And he went, yeah. So citrus, coriander, that citrus notes are lovely. I like my drink when I'm looking at wines and everything. I like the aroma. So we were thinking cardamom, fino spices, all those perfume uh, scents that come from cardamom. So we went along those lines and yeah, good. He's done it. We gave him what we wanted. So will he be doing any more more flavours? Well, we might be, but I'm looking at something else on the spirit market that'll be coming out that's quite interesting. Can you tell me more about this? Well, one might be whiskey. It is going to be whiskey. I love whiskey. And one's going to be a traditional Indian alcohol. Any, oh, right, it's a dum-dum-dum. You can't tell me more. (laughs) Dum-dum-dum. Yeah, that'll be cool. And it's got a bad name at the moment, but we're going to do it, refine it, make it fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Because you when I read that you had coriander and cardamom in your in your beers, I love those two flavours, but I hate I don't know if it's for most South Asians, I hate you know when you're cooking at home and your grandmother or your uncle, you ended up getting the whole seed in your mouth. Cause for me, it cardamom like Oh, but cardamom is that cardamom. It's so perfumed, it just spoils your palate. It does. But, then that, but that's what explains people, that's why we eat with our hands. You always yeah. find the seeds you and you try and pick them out. <laughs> yeah, out. Of course, you're looking at it and it's fine. And you know what? It's just one of those things. Is but I think it's the perfect balance, and I'm I'm looking forward to trying them because it's so difficult to find balanced yet smooth flavors that are strong but mm-hmm. goes well with something that's quite mellow. So I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I was taught about. Well, when I look at wines, you'll never get a drink that'll perfectly match your food unless you yeah. actually make a cocktail that will be specific notes or flavours yeah. or bitterness and everything. When you're buying wine, it's either to be a counterpoint or something that brings the flavours along. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think people want to actually find something that's like, oh, we'll get matched perfectly. I'll, and it's personal taste again. Again, definitely. Because I think for me, it's really hard to find drinks that match Indian food. Because Indian, Asian food in general is very flavoursome. There's loads going mm. on, which is why I prefer to have my drink after my meal. So then uh-huh. it complements it well. Because, you know, something like a pisco sour or something. Oh, pisco sour. Well, I like a pisco sour. Yeah. I like a <laughs> nice. I can have that. I can, 
you know what, if I'm pushed, password call back and have that all the way through the meal. Definitely. It can happen. It can happen. But yeah. anyway, Tony, I know your time is short, but I just want to thank you so much for joining me on Naughty Bites. It's been an absolute pleasure like getting to know you a little bit. It's been amazing. So for those of you that want to know more about Tony's journey, please follow him on MCT Sing on Instagram. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Stay hey.